What did I listen to growing up? Well, I was into, um, I was into like, straight-edge hardcore and punk music, so I grew up listening to, um, I don't know, I, I mean, I was in the bands, I was I was in playing guitar, I was singing, I was going to shows, uh, I was really involved in this hardcore scene, um, doing zines, interviewing bands, hosting shows in my apartment, you know, same time, you know, starting Dimmock, um, to support the, the same bands that, that would come and play in my living room. You know, what, what was more of an outlet of expression turned into a business, you know, later on after like figuring out how, you know, to actually turn this idea uh, into something that can actually be a consistent business that that can sustain itself. Uh, you know, you know, you learn the hard way. You you uh, I learned every step of the process of what it takes to sell a record, from the physical to you know going to the pressing plants and the printing plants, putting the records together, going to distribution houses, uh, making uh, relationships with um, people that are going to help you sell the record, to like learning how to promote it on the ground to, you know, back then there was really no internet. You know, this was 96 to 2001 when I was mm-hmm. really learning the basics. You know, going on tour with my bands. Uh, I used to tour with the Kills all across the U.S., Japan. Um, in 2004, I signed Block Party. And then by then, we were a business. You know, we were we sold over 80,000 physical EPs and singles of Block Party even before the album. Silent Alarm, where that was our first introduction into working with a major label, where we did a deal with Vice Atlantic Records, and that album eventually, you know, went to about 350,000 albums, physical, talking like physical albums sold, like real Mm -hmm. CD. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, by then, it was, that was Denmark 75, you know, um, we had 75 releases under our belt, and you know, moved from Santa Barbara to Los Angeles uh, into a small apartment, very humble apartment, and um, and then got my first investors at the same time in 2005. Uh, Benji and Joel Madden from Good Charlotte uh, became, you know, my first investors into the company and took me into an office space where I was able to hire some people and start really building the company. And I was not an artist myself. I was just running Dimmock. I was DJing the parties in LA, you know, creating a really cool scene, very hipster scene in Hollywood. And then slowly I started becoming an artist myself uh, by remixing the bands on Dimmock. And then people started liking the remixes and playing them out. You know, other DJs would play out my remixes. And then I would start DJing outside of LA and then, you know, the rest is history. See, like, Gorilla Biscuits was, uh, I have their tattoo on my back. They're a straight hardcore band from New York. Before my time, you know, I, like, grew up. That's my first mixtape that I got when I got introduced into the hardcore scene was, uh, had Gorilla Biscuits on there. So they were kind of my introductory band into, um, hardcore. And, um, another band that I really liked was Born Against. Born Against was this, uh, band from Virginia that, was more of a political hardcore band that all their lyrics were like about anti-establishment, anti-authority, you know, very punk style, like style lyrics, but, but a lot, a lot sharper and had more wit. 
and um, I just thought they were really cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, Bruce Lee was a was a was an Asian in popular culture that I mean, all people from all different walks of life, different ethnicities, different countries, they all looked at him with you know looking up to him, and it just was such a like a great feeling to see someone that's Asian that is cool to black people, cool to Mexican people, white people, you know, all kinds of people, not just Asian people, because it's very rare. You don't ever really see that. It's not, even now in 2014, there's not Asian people in popular culture that that everyone goes like, I want to be like him or I want to be like her. You know, it's very, very rare. So whenever that happens, it's a really big deal. And, um, you know, growing up, I, I, I grew up in a, I grew up with non-Asian people around me. You know, I grew up in a white neighborhood. So, oh. uh, you know, like, it's like when you look, when you see an Asian that like your white friends and your Mexican friends, like, you're like, wow, that's, wow, that's really weird and cool. I never thought that would ever happen. I mean, like, you know, when you're a child, when you're really young, they, they kind of, um, there's like, you know, kids have no filter. They say what they, they're accepted to say. Like, whatever is accepted in their homes, they're going to be able to say, you know, in public. And that's when you really see racism dead on in the face. And I really, I got a blunt image of racism a few too many times growing up, um, you know, which led me to violent fights. I, I got into fights and, and stuff growing up all based from racist, you know, uh, t- racist uh, slurs. Um, but that, you know, I mean, it, it made me stronger. It made me have thicker skin, and it pushed me away from, you know, like where all the general kids were playing. And eventually I found punk and hardcore uh, in that same respect because that's where all, like, the outcast kids were hanging out. And about that, I don't think I'd be where I am, you know. I mean, who knows? I'd have a nine-to-five job working, you know, somewhere if, if I was accepted as a kid. Yeah, I mean, like, I think by the time college comes around, people aren't so obvious. I think racism becomes more subliminal. It becomes more hidden. Uh, it's not so in your face. It's harder to to pinpoint. Um, it's easier to hide. You know, a lot of things like that happen. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, you don't really hear people saying negative things or, like, trying to, like, uh, hurt you that way anymore. It's not when you're when you're older. I mean, you might see it on the Internet. And, I mean, you know, it's like, of course, that's just going to happen. But, you know, yeah, it's just different when you're a kid growing up, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the why would it be a problem? Because uh, I want to, like, you know, you want to have ties back to your roots. You want to understand your history. And, um, you know, when I go back to Japan and I speak to – Japanese people and they look at me and they start speaking Japanese and I and I'm just like struggling to say anything I feel really shitty like you know I'm I'm Japanese through and through but I can't I can't have a conversation you know it's something that now at this at this point in my life I'm making it more of a priority to learn it's hard though you know it's it is cold because I, I don't have time I'm like you know, like, I'm in the studio right now, all night, at the finish all this music for Neon Future, and the last thing I can think about is taking some Japanese lessons, you know? It's hard. I just don't have the time. Like, music is always the number one priority, and then I'm 
building my fashion line. That's been my second priority. And so I always am kind of focusing on these businesses and they're very, very consuming projects. Take up a lot of time, you know. So like by the time I'm able to think about, you know, enhancing, you know, my skills in Japanese or whatever it might be, it's like at the bottom of the paper trail, you know, I just have to, to give it more priority. My mom always spoke Japanese to me. You know, that's why I can understand very basic conversation. Uh, my father, strangely enough, you know, he's Japanese. He was born in Japan. But, you know, he, he is like a, he became a full-blooded American in the end of the day. So he would always speak to me in English. Yeah, in the end, you embrace your uniqueness, of course. I, I think that's the best thing that you could possibly do. But in the, in the beginning, when you're lost, it doesn't help that you're different. It doesn't make your life any easier. That's for sure. You know, like you're, and when you're a kid, you just don't understand why someone's making you feel different, you know, and it's, it's just not fair. Even when it's a teacher, like you just don't understand, um, like what did I do to, to like be treated this way, whatever it might be. And it's, there's no like, there's no like awareness um, like, you know, identity, awareness, racial kind of consciousness raising. There's no, none of that growing up, you know, when, when I think it should be a, one of the mo- more important subjects, um, kind of like racial tolerance and understanding cultural differences. That should be like a class for kids growing up, you know, because mm. like we, we live more and more in a multicultural world where it's not just one ethnicity anymore. We we have to understand different traditions and cultures. And, you know, I, my mom would pack, you know what onigiri is, right? Yeah, she packed onigiri with bonito flakes, you know, like the bonito flakes that they, they move a little bit. Yeah, so she packed that in my lunchbox, up, and, and the kids would be like, what the hell are you eating? Like, this stuff's moving. You're eating worms. And I was just like, what? I don't, this is what I eat. You're like, what's wrong? I'd always like hide to hide in the corner and eat by myself, and you know it's like it's cool to be different when you're when you understand <laughs> what mm. you know yourself. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know that like you know like you have to have this kind of uh, tolerance, understanding. It's like uh, that's the same kind of it's being on the shit end of the stick of bullies, you know. So yeah, my moniker was Kid Millionaire because I was DJing. And I was playing at this party, and there's a, uh, you know, a reggae MC, and he was, he was like, yo, give me the mic, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout you out, I'm gonna shout you out, what's your name, man? And, um, and I was playing, I was playing this song at the time, I was playing Outcast, um, Millionaire. And in the, in the lyric, he, uh, Andre 3000 goes, Mama, I'm a millionaire. I think the song about Mama, I'm a millionaire. So I told the guy, I'm like, you know what? I'll call me Mama Millionaire. So, and then, and then the reggae MC says, nah, man, you're a guy. You can't be a Mama Millionaire. You're a guy. I said, well, okay, call me a Papa Billionaire. No, no. And then he's like, I'm going to call you Papa Billionaire. And then I was like, that sounds old and weird. No, no, just call me Kid Millionaire. Cause I'm, you know, I'm like young and, that sounds cool. So then he's like, yeah, 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 what's up? This is Kid Millionaire, DJ Kid Millionaire. <laughs> and then, like, it 
it was cool. It sounded cool. So I kind of rolled with it for a bit, and then and I realized that people kept thinking of that name like, oh, yo, that's the son of Rocky Aoki, Benny Hanna. He's like, you know, making like making fun of himself, like he's rich and shit. Like, and I was like, yo, that is whack. I I, I can't have that. And I, in like 2000, end of 2005, I got rid of the name. I was like, this is, this is not the kind of representation I want for myself, you know. Although it's a pretty cool name. I try to work out whenever I can. Um, you know, in America now, CrossFit's become a crazy phenomena. So there's CrossFit gyms everywhere. I'd love to just jump in a CrossFit gym and do like a quick workout if I can. I, um, have a very, healthy writer so when i'm when i arrive at a gig you know they got all my different necessities you know that way i have my avocados i got my um you know almonds and my walnuts and all kinds of nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and so i try to eat like that as much as i can i want to be surrounded by good food um i I don't always eat healthy but i always want to be surrounded by good food so that's like that's like the first step is working out Staying fit and healthy and having like a healthy food around you all the time. I don't remember what a day off looks like. I, I think the first thing I would probably do is go see a movie and veg out, eat some popcorn, but God, I haven't done that in a long time. You know, I'm back in LA for four days and today we did a Twitch thing with, with, uh, Kid Ink, which was pretty fun. Now after this interview, I'm going to jump in the studio till about six or seven in the morning and finish two songs for Neon Future Part 2 that are very close to being done. My goal is to finish these two songs. And then tomorrow I start another full day, do more Neon Future uh, photos for Part 2. And then I'm shooting two more videos this week. And um, and then maybe if I could carve out like three or four hours, I'm going to go see a movie. But I really just don't have any time anymore. My father passed away in 2008. And uh, it was a very heavy, heavy uh, blow to me. So, you know, the first thing I did was I started reading on books on cancer and and health. And that's when I started really, really looking at health and nutrition in a more serious way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kept on, like, I had always feelings of regret and what I could have done while he was alive, what I could have educated him on, all these books I was reading. Um, you know, learning how to, you know, change your body by eating and, and living healthier. Um, and, um, you know, as I was diving into this kind of, all this stuff, um, you know, I started like reading towards like, uh, all the technological development in health and research. And, and then like, you know, I'm a science fiction kid. Like I love, I grew up reading comics and, and I love science fiction. So, you know, I started reading about ideas like singularity. I remember that was the first book that I picked up. I was like, whoa, this book's about these science fiction ideas that are actually could be real science and happen mm-hmm. in our lifetime. This is bizarre, but so fucking cool. So, you know, I digested that whole book, which took a while. And then I started reading other books. And then I just dove in head first after that, you know. And then... um and then I wrote the song Singularity in what, like 2011. And then, uh, and then, you know, started, you know, my album process of, uh, you know, I put out Wonderlands and then I, I, uh, I started 
working on Neon Future, and then I, you know, like, it all came full circle, because I was already read so many books, and, you know, I wanted to talk to these people firsthand, which is what I'm doing now, is this whole interview series called Neon Future Sessions, that I've teamed up with Wired Magazine, and I think Wired Magazine is like a great partner, because they have such a stamp of of uh, reputation in the whole tech space. So to uh, cross, if you if you sit in a room with someone that you love that's that's dying, and the first thing you think, the first thing you don't think of is like, oh, we're we're gonna have overpopulation issues, so just let them die. You know, you're not gonna think that way. You're gonna be like, what can I do to save my mother's life, my brother's life, my my wife's life, my sister's life? You know. What can we do to enrich our lives? Well, we want to, like, we want to have happier, healthier, longer lives, everyone. And then we'll think about these ideas of overpopulation and, you know, you know, our lack of natural resources and, and things like that. I mean, we will get to that point where we, we have no choice, but we have to make different decisions to save the planet and save ourselves. But, you know, the last thing you want to do is say, okay, it's okay to kill off people. <laughs> like, that's a really, that's like a backwards way to think, you know? Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, who knows what, what will happen a hundred years later, but, you know, I don't, I, I'm having, we're alive right now, which is already a remarkable feat. We're alive, mm-hmm. we're thinking, we're talking, we're communicating, we're, you know, and the difference between humans and animals is that we think about the future. You know, we're like constantly looking forward. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm excited to live right now. So I want to have this feeling for as long as possible, you know, and I want to be cognizant and be totally aware of my surroundings. I, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to become, you know, I don't want to live a life of dementia or Alzheimer's where I don't know who I am. I mean, I want to, I want to always be cognizant of, of like what, makes me me and always try to make my life and all the lives around me as better as possible. You know, as far as what it will be in a hundred years, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, we, we could upload our consciousness into some, some other world where we don't need physical bodies anymore. I mean, who knows? Well, of course, we have to think about how we use our resources differently. You know, uh, the earth and all the natural resources. I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play. It's like a, I think what happens is whenever, you know, whenever there's a new technological change or a new um, something that happens um, that is brand new to society, you know, like when, for example, when, you know, the, the, the means of transportation changed from when people started walking to horses to cars to now we're planning, traveling to the moon, like, or what the the, the uh, when the internet exploded and there's ways to communicate so fast around people. The first things that people thought about was, uh, well, if this happens, we're going to have catastrophic catastrophic problems. I mean, look what Y2K was. Y2K was was a um, huge uproar. Everyone thought that the world was going to end in 2000. Computers were going to crash. And in 2000 rolled around, nothing happened, right? Yeah. Nothing happened. And in one year later, 2001, no one even cared about it. No one was like, ha, 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 
look what right. happened. No, no one, people just was like, oh yeah, whatever. But the whole world was erupting around Y2K. So when new technological changes occur, we always create safeguards as a result of being, you know, just trying to make sure that we all survive. I think that we're all smart enough to figure that out, you know, not kill each other in the end. I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit naive, but we haven't killed ourselves up to this point, and we have the technology to do that, you know. We have technology to kill the whole planet, you know, with the bomb and all these things. We haven't done it yet because, like, we just – I'm not saying it's, like, it's impossible for it to happen, but I just feel like whenever we venture into new technological progress – we were creating safeguards as we we're going along, you know. Like there's songs that I took off one and I put it on two because I, I, w- I wanted one to be, you know, Future One to be a more of a fun album. Um, and it's inviting, you know. It's like, hey, guys, Neon Future, this is the idea. Come join the party, you know. Neon Future 2 is, is like, you know, the song I did with Linkin Park is, I mean, it's very, it's an emotional journey you know it's like it takes you on a feeling where you really you know you're not there to party with the record you're there to feel something different and the song i did with walk off the earth this new band from canada is also like one of those journeys into the mind it's really it's really um uh heartfelt even the song i did with nervo is also another heartfelt record but it's it's, it's more it's definitely more of an electronic dance record and uh you know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot more vocal ballads in, on part two, uh, but there. I mean, there is some party songs on there because I did. I don't want to make it completely just an emotional album. Like you know, I have one song with Tiny Tempa and DJ Fresh. It's more of a club record. Uh, you know, I'm finishing a song with Snoop Dogg. That's also more of a club record. So it's a, it's a little. It just it goes across the board as well. But I think the general feeling is it, it is a bit darker, more emotional. Uh, scheduling it for spring, like April, May release. Yeah, I mean, I have my own fund, the Steve Aoki fund, that, that like every year at the end of the year, we pull up all the money that's been generated and raised, and then we um, pick a topic and then just uh, let the fans crowdsource where the money's going to go. So um, coming up next month, I'll be pulling all the money together and uh, most we're going to put it back into brain research um, because I'm in the neon future cycle. So I want to raising awareness on the brain and it doesn't get much attention. You know, like we all have a brain. We all need to understand it more and really feel like more research and more attention needs to go towards brain research. Right now we are, we've teamed up with Parco. It's a big mall in Tokyo that they have like, or like seven or eight malls out in Tokyo. I mean, Parco, you know Parco, right? They're partners in Denmark now in Japan, and we're building a whole collection with Parco, like a 50-piece collection. We're going to launch it next year, and then um, I'm going to present the collection around the world. So I, I'm starting a little bit differently here. I'm like, I'm going to Japan and launching the collection in Japan first. And um, and and out here, uh, we've just finished our Dimock eyewear range that George Goro from Subi designed. So George Goro, he's the founder of Subi from, it's a brand from Australia that, that, that was primarily a denim brand, but then they started making eyewear and the eyewear is incredible. So he just left Subi and then he, I just, um, 
picked him up and he designed the whole Iowa range. So it's, it's an incredible range. So some really cool stuff coming out next year. I don't, I didn't think about that. I mean, my next project is Neon Future Part 2. So that's really like my goal is like launching the Dimock eyewear range properly, um, getting the Parco, uh, the Dimock collection up and my album. Those are like my projects that, that are, I'm working towards right now. Neon Future Part 2 release. I, I'm already working on a lot more music because I've been in the studio since I got back from Ibiza. You know, I have like three studios I work out of. So I'm like always near a studio, whether I'm in LA or Las Vegas. So, I mean, I'm working on more songs than I can put on an album. So I don't know what to do. I'm trying to like figure it all out. 